Welcome to Midwest Mind Melt with your hosts, Josh and Jason. Welcome back to Midwest Mind Melt, everybody. So today in studio, we have a, a friend of mine, uh, Stefan LeBoy, who has been on a Peace Corps mission for going on two years now, and he's in here today to talk to us about that. Stefan, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Of course, and thank you guys for having me on. It's a no pleasure problem, to be man. here. Absolutely. Um, so, thank you for the introduction, Jason. Um, so, as he's mentioned, my name is Stefan, and I'm a Nebraska boy through and through. I went to high school right here in Fremont, and after that, I started uh, studying at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. And after after my first year of college, um, I decided to join the Nebraska National Guard. And so, that's then how I first came in touch with you, oh, uh, Jason. We yep, we had served in the same unit. Uh, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. He's not a bad guy. Uh, you know, he's not. I, I enjoyed our time together. Um, and so and I graduated from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln in 2016, and I continued my service with the Peace Corps, and I was working at First Evangelical Covenant Church in Lincoln as their music director. And so coming up on the end of my military service, um, I was kind of really questioning myself, what do I want to do next? You know, do I want to re-enlist in the military? Do I want to try and pursue graduate studies? Am I happy with the way things are now? And the Peace Corps is something that I'd been considering for a long time, something that always kind of interested me. And so I decided to um, apply just to see um, if, you know, it, out. exactly, see if they were interested in me. And as it would turn out, they were. Um, and so after, uh, you know, giving it some thought, talking to friends and family, I decided it was something that I wanted to do. And that brings us to uh, today, I suppose. So how did you apply? Yes. Yeah, so... The Peace Corps actually is, as you can imagine, there's quite an extensive vetting process to make sure that uh, you're able to um, go abroad and serve for two years, sure. actually, mm-hmm. 27 months in total when it comes with the uh, training that you start with and you get there. So um, it's all done online now, but there are several steps along the way. I'm trying to remember even everything because now this has been a few years um, yeah. since I had applied. All right. Um, that there is a general application, and then you kind of begin to start um, – winnowing down specifics of what kind of work you want to be doing, what kind of area you're looking for, um, you know, perhaps some restrictions on where you'll be able to serve um, based on your physical ability or, or personal practices or whatever. And so um, following that, I received notification that I was being considered for one of two positions. Um, one was an agriculture position in Madagascar, and the other one was a health position in Madagascar. So they had me fill out some supplementary um, paperwork to kind of uh, – explain my qualifications or experience in both those fields, which I had none in either. (laughs) (laughs) Make it till you make it, right? Yeah, right. Um, And so after a couple of correspondences, um, I was invited to do actually an interview. And so then I did a Skype interview. Um, Funny enough, I actually was vacationing in Australia at the time when they wanted to do the Skype interview. So at 2 a.m. I had to do a Skype interview um, back home on vacation. But, you know, it worked out just fine. Um, after that, they said that they, um, I was still under consideration. Then they asked for some letters of recommendation just to seam things up. Uh, after those letters of recommendation, they uh, gave me my uh, invitation. And then upon accepting your invitation, you're still not quite done. After that, you need to um, submit to a background check. So I had to go get my fingerprints taken, you know, and run through the system. And you also then have to undergo a physical um, to make sure you have the proper vaccinations you'll need to enter your country as well as just to be, you know, certain or reasonably sure that you can physically handle two years of service in a, you know, foreign country. Damn government and their application process. Right. You know, I will say, um, you know, it, it is certainly a government organization. Um, right. You know, talking about my experience, you know, from the military, uh, yes, uh, the bureaucracy is real. You got that right? Oh, yeah, <laughs> I, I would imagine. Yeah, I, I, I imagine I wouldn't change anything. 
any government organization for that matter. Right. Um, you know, a question to you, because the first time I ever even heard of the Peace Corps, I was watching Family Guy, and uh, if you're familiar with Family Guy, you remember Chris joins the Peace Corps and goes uh, some, you know, far off land and, yeah, you know, helps some indigenous people, so to speak. So when was the first time you heard about the Peace Corps? You know, it's funny you mentioned that. Um, you're not the first person to tell me that's their first uh, their first experience, the first time they heard of the Peace Corps. Uh, I will tell you, I'm not uh, in the Peace Corps to avoid my high school bullies. <laughs> that's I, right. That's that's why he did join. Exactly. I didn't remember that. I, I say, right, exactly. <laughs> uh, I, I think I'm, I think we're all a little past that age. Um, yeah, I would hope so at least. You know, actually for me, and it just I guess it just so happens. Um, Luck, luck of the draw, I suppose. I actually was in high school history class, um, U.S. history class, and the particular section was um, after World War II, uh, American history, and uh, we actually learned about the Peace Corps. Oh, wow. Yep. And so I was maybe 15 at the time, and I just remember thinking that just sounded cool. It did. Um, you know, I didn't really know, of course, not near as much as I know now about it, um, but uh, just just that little seed was planted right there of international service um, for young Americans. Um, and so that's something that I'd always kept in the, in the back of my mind. And so, uh, again, that was something I reexamined towards the end of my military service. Awesome. Yeah, because it didn't come to – because I read a little bit about the Peace Corps. It didn't come about till about 1961, right? Oh, that's correct. It was, initiative, it was an initiative by uh, JFK. Right, just right before Vietnam. I mean, exactly. kind, of, kind of interesting. Yeah. A little interesting piece of history. I didn't know that. Oh, cell phone. <laughs> Not me this time, so don't blame me, viewers. Sorry about that, guys. Hey, damn it, Jason. Sorry, new but... phone loud vibrating. Come on. Hasn't gotten any use yet. It's all good. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the history about it's really cool. And um, is there like any, uh, is, is it, does it look really good on a resume to have uh, some Peace Corps, you know, time served? So um, of the things that I had heard about the Peace Corps before joining, one of the things that I had heard was the Peace Corps can pave your way to anywhere. Um, we'll see how true that turns out to be. Um, but I think what a lot of um, what a lot of people think, or the conventional wisdom is, is that it does look very good. Uh, it looks good for employers. Looks good for graduate schools, um, and even for those that necessarily aren't familiar with the Peace Corps or don't really have an opinion of the Peace Corps. I think there still are a lot of intangible skills that um, people like you know associate with what Peace Corps service entails. Absolutely, because I would think if if I was an employer, and I granted I don't know much about the Peace Corps. But if if I saw that one of my applicants had Peace Corps in their background, they had like two years served, I would just assume that this person, you know, is a pretty selfless person and probably somebody that has yeah. some integrity. And I'd, I'd want to have mm -hmm. them on board, you know, for a team. You know, and even just beyond um, the integrity, you know, and the, the selfless service, just being able to self-motivate, being able to re be resilient when times are tough, being able yeah. to adapt to new situations, problem solve quickly. You know, I think these are characteristics that... Um, the Peace Corps searches out, and in order to be successful in your Peace Corps service, you're going to have to have some degree of ability in those or competency in those areas. That's Absolutely. awesome. I mean, yeah, I would definitely say that. Um, did your did your time in the military um, help you in any way, shape, or form when you got over there and you and you started doing your job? Absolutely. Um, so service service to country is something that um, I have always. Um, you know, pride of myself in something I always have strived for. And so, of course, my military service, I kind of see the Peace Corps actually as somewhat of a continuation of my military service, just in a little bit of a different field. Sure. You know, ultimately with the same goal of uh, improving U.S. relations and trying to make the world a better, safer place. Yeah. Um, 
And so, but um, I think perhaps maybe more specifically, um, the questions you're acting, asking about is, for example, going to basic training yeah. uh, in the military, you know, you got to learn quickly um, how to adapt. You know, you got to yeah. learn quickly how things work. Um, and and I've been pushed outside of my comfort zone several times in the military, you know, and I've had to learn to adapt, um, you know, or or not, not make it. Mm-hmm. And so I think... I think that probably is the number one thing that I look back on military service that has prepared me for success in the Peace Corps. That's awesome. Um, so what exactly do you do over there? That's an excellent question. So the Peace Corps actually has, um, I think actually probably around a dozen different sectors um, or different like missions or objectives or jobs. Now, most of the Peace Corps are education volunteers that teach English um, or depending on what country, what mission, or the um, the qualifications of the volunteer might teach like business courses or even like some college level courses. Excuse me. Um, but um, in Madagascar, so we have three different sectors. We have education volunteers that primarily teach English at a, a high school level. And then we have health volunteers that spend most of their time working at the community health centers and sensitizing on um, some basic, you know, um, health preventative measures like hand washing, um, vaccinations, things like that. And then finally is a third sector, which I'm a part of that is agriculture. And so the agriculture mission in Madagascar is, uh, more specific and tailored to home gardening, um, where Madagascar has such an issue with stunting and malnutrition, um, where in some areas of the country, over half of the children are stunted. The mission with agriculture is to promote home gardening in a way to cost-effectively try and supplement nutrition for mothers and their children. Wow, that's a really good mission. And when you say stunted, that I'm assuming that means like they can't grow anymore. Or what does um, that mean? Yes. So stunted refers to um, children or then eventually adults who, between the um, uh, the age of five and under, did not receive adequate nutrition, and then therefore are not. Um, as tall as or not as physically developed as they would be otherwise. Okay. And that that generally also has been linked to, um, not as a hard rule, but has been linked to also like um, brain development and, you know, cognition. Um, and so generally what you see with like academic performance is that stunted children generally um, perform behind those that had a more healthy um, health nutrition as children. I would think, yeah. So do you teach them how to garden? Is that? Yes, I do. That's. That's that's actually regardless of where you're at. That's actually a good skill. To that's have. a really good skill to have. Um, I agree. Especially especially coming from Nebraska, I'm assuming. Uh, did you guys growing up? Did you uh, did you have gardens at home or? Well, so I had referred to it um, earlier when I was talking about the application process. Yeah. They asked about my expertise in health and agriculture, to which I had none. So no, I had never put a seed in the ground or you know even prepared a garden bed before coming to Madagascar. Um, what's nice though, is when you first arrive in country, you have three months of training, uh, where you're in a safe environment. It actually kind of reminded me of basic, um, with a little bit less yelling, I guess. (laughs) But they still yell at you, right? (laughs) No, 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 they don't. But in that three month period, you learn the language, you learn about the culture and how to, you know, fit in, how to be safe. And you also learn your actual like job skill set. So, I am not an expert horticulturalist. Um, I am not um, even, I'd say, an expert gardener. But in my particular region where home gardening just isn't practiced um, for various, you know, cultural reasons or just access to information reasons, um, my skills suffice to teach the skills needed there. Nice. And that's all you need. Yeah. So 
Josh, you had a question? Yeah, because, uh, like, I'm, I'm sure a lot of our viewers aren't really familiar with Madagascar. You know, I know it. I'm a typical American. I know it from media. So, like, the movie Madagascar, of course. And, you know, that isn't going to tell me anything about the real country. So, I mean, well, when before the podcast, we were talking, and I was asking you about, you know, is there a lot of people in Madagascar? And you kind of explained. So, um, for our viewers, could you explain kind of how uh, Madagas- Madagascar is laid out? Gladly. So that's actually not an uncommon thing. I also hear that a lot too, that most people's um, only um, knowledge to or first introduction to Madagascar is through the Disney animated series, you know, Madagascar 1, 2, and 3. Did they make a fourth one? Okay. All right. Um, And so um, the the movies do get it right in that Madagascar is a lush, um, beautiful, um, beautiful place. They do get it wrong, kind of giving the impression that it's uninhabited. Right. Uh, Madagascar, which is actually much larger than a lot of people um, usually think or know, is actually the fourth largest island in the world. Wow. And, yep. And it's a landmass larger than the state of California. Um, it's a landmass larger than um, Britain. And it is home to 23 million people, which is quite a bit. Um, however, when you think about the actual size of it, most areas are pretty rural, um, not too dense population, but there are a few urban centers. Um, what is the biggest city there? So the biggest city is called Antananarivo. I won't make... Uh, yeah, no, that's all good. Yeah, I'm not going to remember that. Yeah. <laughs> or Tana is what most people refer to Tana. as. Tana. All right, that's easier. And so Tana is a city with a population about the size of Chicago, a little over 3 million people. Okay. But so the uh, the soil there is... Because uh, obviously it's a very lush country. Um, it's got a lot of vegetation. So it's probably pretty easy to grow stuff there. Well, it kind of depends on the region you're in. And the other thing about working with um, a different culture and the Malagasy people is that the the resources available, the natural resources available, do not necessarily coincide with where vegetables are grown. And so what I mean by that is, um, so in the central highlands of Madagascar, um, it has a very clay, iron, ironous soil that it actually, the soil is like red. And so this, the soil is a little bit harder to work. They do have... Um, more, um, they do have like more substantial winters. You can't really grow much in that time period, but yet they grow more vegetables than anywhere else in the country, including my area, which um, has a little bit easier soil to work with and has a year round growing season, you know, where you might expect in my region, we'd be growing more vegetables. Um, culturally, it just did not necessarily merge that way. Um, so that that's an, that's an excellent question, um, but no, as I, as I have come to discover, it does not necessarily intuitively coincide with that. Fair enough. So I'm I'm really curious what, like, um, what's the economy like over there? And like, okay, so like, let, let let me elaborate a little bit. Okay. So do they like do they have the tech the same technology that we do? Because um, I think when when most people think about like. Africa, because Madagascar is part of Africa. Mm-hmm. They think of tribes. Yeah, you know, that's that's the the. Concept. I think poor. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I think poor. And so, knowing that there's 23 million people. Yes. On Madagascar, I would just, I, I I I picture it in my head to look something like more developed, if that makes sense. Yes. Yeah, so, to kind of um, paint a little bit of picture of where um, Madagascar falls um, globally by comparison to some other nations. Madagascar, when you look at um, GDP per capita, is one of the poorest nations in the world, um, where the average um, daily income is about $1.50 a day wow. for its members. 
So, um, no, um, Madagascar is not a particularly developed nation, and even less so than many African nations. Um, there's some of the ones that come to mind, um, Nigeria, um, oh. South Africa, Egypt, especially some like the Northern African nations. So, um, so you're, you're right. It, it does maybe perhaps fit that image a little bit more, more um, agrarian, um, less industrialized, um, for sure. So as far as the actual like, economy, though, in Madagascar, so um, everyone is, well, the saying is, everyone is first a rice farmer. And, you know, we can talk a little more about some of the food, some of the culture there, but Madagascar is actually the world's leading consumer of rice per capita in the world. And so everyone participates in the rice harvest to some degree. Um, everyone has land or has family that has land and everyone participates. Um, so a lot of people make their living, you know, or at least, you know, work for their meals um, in the fields. Okay. That kind of um, surprises me a little bit because I, I would think rice, you know, would be in, in Asia, you know, the leading. But that's really surprising. You would think that. Um, I would think so. But uh, no, it is actually Madagascar. That's a cool fact. I'm glad I know that. Yeah, that's. That's definitely surprising. Beyond that, um, some of the unique, um, some, or some of the more unique um, goods of Madagascar is uh, spices. So vanilla, cacao, um, cloves, um, as well as several um, tropical fruits are also part of the economy too. Um, and as far as like industri- industrialization, uh, information technology, um, they 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 are they are a little bit further behind than some other nations um, in that respect, but. Yeah, so agriculture is probably the leading, the leading um, industry there in Madagascar. So, for anybody that any of our listeners that might be wanting to join the Peace Corps, what are your like living conditions and, and, and things of that nature while you're there? Yes. So, well, the first thing I want to say um, for any listeners that are considering the Peace Corps, um, you know, apply. You know, worst thing that can happen is you, you don't you don't get it. Mm-hmm. And there are actually only two requirements to be in the Peace Corps. One is to be 18, and one is to be a U.S. citizen. There are no further requirements other than that. And there also is no age limit. Um, in fact, one volunteer I know out in Madagascar, a phenomenal volunteer, um, is a retired man from South Dakota, and I think he just turned 68 maybe. Wow. Yep. And so he's out there doing doing what we're all doing out there too. Um, and I'll talk about living conditions. You know, if this, if this doesn't sound like something, you know, your viewers would be interested in, your listeners would be interested in, there are over 60 countries the Peace Corps is currently operating in mm-hmm. with a whole host of living amenities. So my situation is just very un- specific to my country and really to my sector and my region. Um, but so um, I don't have electricity or running water. Uh, I do have a solar panel that I can use to power my lights and charge some things. So I can charge my cell phone and whatnot. I have an outhouse out back, uh, as well as a little hut to sh- in which to shower. And then my neighbors actually, um, my neighbors are very nice to me, and they're good people. They actually have a little hand pump well, a hand, hand pump, excuse me. And so I go over, I br- every morning I usually bring my buckets over, fill them up with the pump, and then bring them back to my house. And then that's what I have. For those of you on the East Coast, this is not how we live in the middle of the country. So, <laughs> so, exactly. So you guys on the coast can fuck off. That's not how we live here. We are not fighting Indians either. So with that, um, how was your adjustment coming from like obviously a place where we're so rich with technology, we're rich, we have all this stuff that we kind of take for granted because we don't really think. No, we about totally it. take it for granted. So how was your adjustment to that? Well, one thing I think the Peace Corps does very well, um, and if you check out their website, peacecorps.gov, you can find out 
information about the Peace Corps and where they operate. But also, as you begin to kind of move along the application process and begin to look more seriously in this, kind of delve more into the specific pages on that website, they actually have um, various pages of like what to expect and as far as living conditions, um, what to affect, what to expect as far as cell phone reception and being able to communicate, mm-hmm. what to expect as far as um, foods that are available and being amenable to vegetarian or vegan diets or gluten-free or whatever. Um, and so I was able to actually do quite a bit of research um, that I was able, I felt pretty comfortable in, you know, what to expect going forward. And I think that was huge. Um, I, you know, I really can't imagine, you know, expecting to have all these things that you guys are right. I take for granted here in the States, you know, and then show up there and Hey, surprise. Boom. <laughs> exactly. So I think actually, um, doing, doing your, doing your, doing one's research is really important, um, to not being shocked by that. But, uh, even still, you know, you and I have spent time out in the field too, yeah. um, that, uh, you know, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't so bad. No, not at all. You know, there are some days when it's really, really hot and nothing more I want, you know, than air conditioning, you know, or mm-hmm. or, so, or some days it actually gets a little bit chilly. And, you know, when I say chilly, I mean like 55 degrees. But I don't want to take a cold shower when it's 55 degrees, you know, so oh, I, I want yeah. some hot water, you yeah. know, um, or even cold beer, you know. Those are things that I certainly miss. Um, but I think being prepared for that, both from the military service and by doing my research beforehand, mm-hmm. I think kind of set me up for that. And then also having a bigger vision about my service in the Peace Corps and the role I play there, I think that is what helps, at least for me, that helps sustain me on the uh, tougher days. So to caveat onto that, when so when, when the MEB deployed or mobbed to the Virgin Islands in 2017 after Hurricane uh, Irma and Maria, uh, those those were some of the things. It was, it was very interesting to see... Um, to see people without electricity, and it was it, it was it was very strange. It was definitely a different culture shock, but definitely I think for me, <clears throat> what drove me because I remember there was one day we were sitting in we we're sitting in the command the command whatever the fuck you want to call it the room where everybody was working, um, and the AC went out mm. and everybody was miserable, and I can't imagine. Like, I think what 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 I was getting at was what drove me to get up every day and go and do it was the fact of what I was accomplishing while I was there, mm-hmm. and so it made those miserable times not so bad. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I can't even imagine like not having running water, like that stuff that I can't, you know, I don't think about that kind of stuff because I've never been put in that position. Mm-hmm. And it definitely, uh, it, was it humbling for you, in in a, in a sense? Yes, absolutely. Um... It really did put things in perspective, and I really, you know, because um, um, you know, as as much as as much as you know, the help or the relationships we're forming over there, um, the help we gave, the relationships we're forming with the people of Madagascar, um, it really is a transformative process for the volunteers too. And so, for me, especially now being back for a couple weeks on vacation, I'll fly back out of Chicago on uh, Wednesday here, I guess in in two days. Um, that. Um, uh, coming back and seeing, you know, what we have, I am certainly much more appreciative. Um, and I, I you know, and I kind of do have a little bit of a bigger picture and some of those things you're talking about, like, um, the people with no electricity that you'd never seen before, you know, or the people without running water that you've heard of, but never, you know, interacted with, um, or the people that are living on, you know, less than $2 a day that, you know, the statistic tells you they exist now having lived among them, um, it has certainly given me a lot of perspective on really just how big the world is. Wow. So besides the conditions, um, was there any other uh, major culture shock that you experienced, you know, 
being amongst uh, the people there? Mm-hmm. I think one of the biggest ones, um, and I don't know if necessarily counts as culture shock or an adjustment, um, was the language. Okay. In that, uh, so Malagasy is the national language that's spoken there. Um, it's the native language, and it's spoken throughout the entire country. So are you fluent in it now? That's the question. Oh, I don't know if I'd say that I'm fluent. Um, I can get my point across. Um, okay. But Sometimes that's all that matters. You know, yeah, right. But even still, that can be stressful. Um, yes. You know, trying to have a conversation and trying to like communicate, and you know, and being so frustrated, you know, not being able to get my point across, you know, or yeah. not being able to say what I'm trying to say, or even you know, um, you know, just just telling someone how much I appreciate, you know, appreciate them. You know, yeah. it's something that I wish I could say um, that I don't always have the words and the ability to. And especially though, after that three month training period, when they you know drop you off at your site and say good luck. You know, you're very not confident in your language abilities at that point, too. So I imagine. Yeah. So trying to even like, you know, like I'm going to go out of my house. I'm going to go down to the store. I'm going to get a coffee, you know, um, was was really honestly kind of like a hurdle to get over first, you know, and and to know that you stick out like this sore thumb, you yeah. know, um, and that your Malagasy is probably terrible and, you know, you're going to and they're going to have to really be patient with you. Um, so that was that was a really tough one, I think, um, apart from the living conditions was just trying to communicate because out where I live um, no one speaks English um, and then French is the is the second national language but that's uh, well because there was a the French had colonized Madagascar up until 1960 and so uh, French is spoken in the uh, larger cities um, or especially among some of the more um, educated or affluent members of society Um, so and my, my French is atrocious but I mean you know, but uh, better than a Malagasy when I got there, I guess. Right. But even still, out where I live, no one speaks French either. So it's um, if I'm go- if I'm going to communicate, it's you need to uh, swallow your pride, and you need to go outside your comfort zone, and you need to just try and have that conversation. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now, is there a, a threat of violence that you guys were warned about? You know, when you're first uh, entering this country, you know, especially since we talked about how a lot of it is very underdeveloped, I would imagine there's got to be some some sort of you know violence that you got to be aware of, especially being an outsider. Absolutely, and so the Peace Corps does do um, a pretty good job trying to monitor the situation of which areas are safe, which areas are not safe, which countries will operate in, and then if they're going to operate in countries, which regions are not safe. So there are some regions in Madagascar that they have not placed volunteers for a few years because it is um, considered too dangerous or because just the the risk is too great. In the some of the bigger cities, some of the capital cities, um, you, of course, always have problems of petty crime, um, yeah. theft, pickpocketing, um, or even more serious, like armed robberies. And so there is, of course, a very, you know, and especially being a foreigner, um, the assumption is generally that if you are a victim in you know, say Madagascar, as an example, as a foreigner, you are less able to um, seek help than if you were, yeah. you know, a native or local. And so, um, and so, yes, yeah, so there certainly is a warning about that, um, you know, and uh, what also is nice, though, too, is that volunteers phase in. Um, so every about five or six months, a new batch of volunteers comes in as other volunteers leave. And so there is a, a little bit of like help and like guidance given by the by the more experienced volunteers of like, oh, hey, you know, be careful in this neighborhood, you know, um, or, um, you know, I um, um, if you're going to take a bus to this area, make sure to go with this company, you know, because sure. it'll, it'll be a just a less problematic ride through and through. Um, 
And so, yes, actually, though, it's interesting you ask. Um, so in my area, I live on the east coast which is, of Madagascar, which is generally pretty safe. Um, there's not much organized crime. Um, there's not a whole lot of serious crime. But um, one time when I was gone for a work trip, I was gone for about three weeks in total, and my house actually was burglarized um, while I was gone. Wow. Yep. Um, I must say, though, um, and this really, it was after this that, um, because at, at this point in my service, I was pretty well invested, you know, and I had become pretty used to the routine, and I had accepted, you know, this is my life now. It was after this moment that I really felt more at home than ever, which sounds sounds crazy, but immediately following my burglary, um, my community immediately went to action. And my community organized, and they found my things. They found the thief who was responsible. Um, and the actually, the, um, the, his, uh, the position is called President Fukutani, which is something kind of like a city councilman. Okay. Um, who was a friend of mine in the community, actually that night personally went and arrested the man, you know, along with the police. That's um, awesome. Yep. And so after that, we went, uh, the in the following days, we went to the police and um, filed a report. Um, my host father, um, who is, you know, uh, has a connection with the Peace Corps in the community, came and helped me fix up my house where it was broken into. And we actually, um, I went to, uh, I went to court. Oh. Yeah. Um, we actually um, went to court in the Malagasy system. And that, uh, to this day, um, I recovered all my things. Um, the thief and I think he had two accomplices uh, are now in jail. And um, I've never I've never felt more loved as I did my community's response to that incident. That's awesome. Uh, that was really cool. That you, it was, it was, you, you missed all the flood this year, uh, earlier this year. I was going to ask... Are you able to keep track? I know, I know you have like a phone and stuff, but do you do you keep up to to date with what's going on over here while you're over there? Yes, I do. And there is a certain gap in perception, and that I can't actually be here on the ground, really talking to people daily. Mm -hmm. um, but especially in 2019, um, you know, the world is getting so flat. Um, you know, in that just. Um, communication, the internet is amazing. And yeah. so I, I, um, whenever I go into the city, you know, where I have like Wi-Fi or good reception, I can take time to download my podcast, my Midwest mind melt. Yeah. Those jerks that do that show. <laughs> <laughs> Subscribe if you're not already. Yes, please. Um, but then also even out where I live in my site, uh, my reception, my cell phone reception isn't great. Um, but there are four carriers, uh, cell phone service in Madagascar. One works in my house, and if I hold the phone just right in just the right spot, you know, I can get my messages, I can update my Facebook. So, yes, um, I would say that I actually am um, able to keep up with um, the news and events here in the States pretty well. Not as well as I might like, but yeah. but I'm, I'm not completely in the dark. So, you mentioned the floods. Yeah, I was, I was following that. Um, it was crazy seeing some of the pictures, um, seeing, just reading the news about that. Yeah. I mean, it, it broke my heart, especially... You know, you and I both guardsmen. Um, I mean, so were were you guys activated to help that uh, or called up? My unit was. Okay. I was actually, I actually went to reclass school. Oh, like, uh, okay. The week after that happened, I left that Friday. So they didn't activate me because I was already going to be on orders. Mm -hmm. So, but I was going to talk about the community coming together. Um, yes. Growing up in Arizona, um, the biggest thing that we ever have is wildfires. Like, like we don't have mm -hmm. tornadoes. We don't have 
you know, flooding. We don't have that kind of stuff down there. And so I never got to see that kind of a thing happen. And being in Fremont, we actually got cut off from everybody. Yes. Every road out of here was was, was closed. Yep. Yes. Oh, my gosh. It was, though. you'd go to the store and there was no water on the shelves. There was, like, the the, the big bottles that you buy to refill in the machine, those were all gone. Yep. There was li- nothing. There was no trucks coming in, nothing. Yeah. And so for, for about three days. But that's but that being said, I wanted to touch on the community part about that. Mm-hmm. So, the, we being stuck in Fremont, our biggest thing was once it once it once the river flooded, um, coming in out you know out of Lincoln into Inglewood right there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I there was a lot of people that lost their homes down there because it it, it 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 hit the it almost it was what one block away from the from hitting the viaduct. Yep. So, but we had so many people. Uh, all the cement companies around were like, hey, we got sandbags. We need people to come fill sandbags. The lines were crazy. Yep. People just coming together. And and that it was it was amazing to see the community as a whole just, at, you know, whether you had a problem with your neighbor or not, at this point it didn't even matter. Yep. Mm-hmm. We, you had, uh, we had people in Missouri and Kansas and Iowa uh, donating uh, hay bales, yeah, we you know. Like anything they could. The oh my gosh! Yeah, anything they could. It was awesome. It was really yeah, cool. When the roads opened back up, they had uh, they had farmers that were hauling truckloads of hay in to mm. help us. Uh, it was it was very humbling to see it. It was very humbling to be a part of it. Um, it it was definitely one of those things, and so many people lost lost everything. And there was one guy that uh, that I worked with, his buddy, his whole house right in the river. Yep. And it's just it's hard to to think about that and. Uh, yeah, I remember going to the gas station to get a pack of cigarettes. It was like three in the morning, and I saw like uh, truckloads of volunteers. You know, they had their vests on, and they were getting ready to head out to you know do what they were gonna do yep. to help with the flood. And so that was really cool to see, yeah. really cool. And so I, I I guess that we've kind of experienced that whole community come together thing, and in, in a whole you know, and it was just it was crazy. And and when you said that, I was like, yeah. I kind of I kind of know how that how that feels, and it's very reassuring to know that you live in a place like that. You know, everybody talks about the Midwest, and they talk about you know there's nothing out here, which they're 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 pretty right. Mm, kind of. But that was probably one of the biggest culture shocks when I moved to Nebraska was not having to prepay for gas. That was amazing. <laughs> I was like, wait, hold well, on, I can pump first. It, that that was a culture <laughs> shock to me because you know we live in that kind of a of a, of an area. You know, the Midwest mm-hmm. is very old old school. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's a lot of trust and a lot of nice folks out here. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's awesome to hear about that. Like, especially even over there, you know, uh, communities communities are, are, are huge. And that that is certainly a similarity that I actually had thought about too. Following that, um, and that the the small town, the small town niceness, you know, the small town communal effort, you know, we're all in this together, um, is really something that I kind of had like observed in this whole ordeal. And I think it kind of has perhaps, you know, brought um, or verified or kicked off this larger observation of my Peace Corps service um, and living among this, you know, culture that I knew nothing about prior to coming out there is that, yeah, like we are different, you know, we celebrate differences, but in a lot of ways, like we're all the same, you know. Yeah. Um, or even, you know, you mentioned, uh, I think perhaps even a better example than my burglary, if I can tell a quick... Uh, Go ahead, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Uh, so uh, November 1st um, is All Saints Day. Um, and so there is a celebration out in Madagascar. It's a very important holiday. Uh, the translation translates more to Day of the Dead. 
But so for that particular holiday, at least in my region, every region is different, kind of has their own little touches. But in my region, family members will go out to the uh, family tombs and will then clear with their uh, machetes and shovels and clear out the brush, the the overgrowth, the walkways out to the tombs. And then everyone will leave, you know, various, you know, like um, gifts or, you know, little like trinkets to, to remember those uh, alongside the side of the tomb. So they'll light candles, you know, or they'll bring out um, some like cookies. Um, one woman brought a pack of chewing tobacco and opened it up and spread it out next to the tomb. You know, thing, things that, um, you know, pay respect to or pay homage to the um, ancestors who have passed. Mm-hmm. And so accompanying that, as with, you know, every significant holiday in Madagascar is a party that night. And so I was with some friends at, um, well, it's basically like a dance party they have in the uh, community building. And it really, it's, it's great. You know, some, they bring in these big old speakers from somewhere. I don't know who exactly has them. And they bring in a, a gas-powered generator. And they fire it up and they party until, like, seriously, some days, four or five, six in the morning. And so I was with a few of my um, Peace Corps friends. And we went, we saw um, a blaze off in the distance, and it's it seemed just really unnaturally large, and especially at like you know midnight. And so we decided to go check it out. As we got over there, we realized that a huge um, cluster of housings uh, was engulfed in flames. And so the community had had come come to come together, and we all started working to. Um, get our hands on shovels or boards of wood to try and um, scoop out sand and dirt to try and douse the fire. You know, we started, um, people were running back and forth with buckets of water to try and, you know, people were running through, um, knocking down uh, fence posts that hadn't fallen yet to try and keep, like, the trees um, from catching fire after that, too. You know, um, there was one one large tree that I'm not entirely sure how, had a like a smoldering ember up at like the at the um, highest like the the crown of the tree kind of, and so one young man um, climbed up the tree and we we threw him a bucket on a, on a rope that he could then pull up to try and put the fire out there. Um, it was really just um, really just shocking to see. And so the next day um, when the fire was out, I stopped by the mayor's house, talked to him, and they were telling me that they had lost um, 31 structures and over 100 people were without homes. And so I went out to go see the scene, uh, try and because you know when you see it at night, it's a little different than when you see it yeah. in the day. And they had already cleaned up. Um, they already had brought in rice from the next city over, you know, to try and at least like provide food for those. Um, and when I talked to the mayor uh, before I went to go check out the scene, I had asked, you know, like, well, who who who's like sleeping outside tonight? Because that's that's where my mind is going. And he said that, um, you know, people had stepped up and they had, they had it covered. Um, so I'm actually kind of looking forward to coming back uh, next week. I'm certainly going to make my way out to that area and see kind of what they've done out there. Um, I'm hoping to, see, uh, hoping to see some work done. But if I, if I had to take a guess, the community has also, you know, come together once again yeah. for, to help with this tragedy. So I guess, I guess at the end of the day, we're all human beings, right? Absolutely. We all have that compassion for each other. Well, most of us. It's just too bad sometimes it takes, you know, tragedy for the community to come together. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's that's kind of the down, and, and that's kind of how it is it is here too, you know. Absolutely, and anywhere. Yeah. So, um, one question I really I really want to ask you, and and it's a weighted question. You don't have to answer it now, but I want you to think about it. Okay. What's the biggest thing that this experience has taught you? Oh boy. And we can move on, but we're gonna come back to that question. So yeah, let's let's do that. So we were talking, okay. you know, before we before we got in the studio. 
uh, about you being a music- musician. And I, I, mm-hmm. I, I read a couple of your blogs, uh, your blog posts, and you learned to play an instrument while you were there. I did. And so tell us a little bit about that. So you're right. Um, prior to the Peace Corps, um, I was a musician. Um, my undergraduate actually is in music, so really putting that to use now. <laughs> and I mean, you know, it, it, it does help. Um, but no, so there are a handful of instruments uh, in Madagascar. Um, some of them are, you know, Western instruments that have made their way over there, like the guitar and piano and drums, stuff like that. But there are still a lot of the traditional instruments. And so one, which in particular is the national instrument of Madagascar, is called the Valia. Valia. And I would, I would encourage all your um, listeners, all your viewers to check it out. Um, V-A-L-I-A-H. Valia. I'll check that out. It's a cool name. And what it is, is it is actually, um, it is a thick um, piece of bamboo that has um, a hole cut through the middle of it to help resonate the sound. And then it has strings that are strung all the way around it. Okay. So it's kind of like um, a tube harp is kind of what it has. And I fell in love with it before I even went to Madagascar. Of course, being curious about these things, I had looked it up and was really just um, really just, tu- just in- mystified by this really enchanting, just really unique instrument. And so, of course, I was like, when I get to Madagascar, I'm going to find one. And so, and so I, I have. And so I do, I do play a little bit of Aaliyah. And one thing that has been nice about that, though, is apart from just, you know, my personal enjoyment of it, you know, or just, you know, kind of like doing something cool or something fun, is that, as I mentioned, it is the national instrument of Madagascar. And so there is such a cultural identity uh, with the Malagasy people and the Valia, such a cultural identity with their music, with their heritage, that when I play the Valia, especially for people uh, at parties or just outside my house, people going by, um, or even like sometimes I go to like football games and I'll even uh, soccer games, excuse me, and I'll I'll bring it along with me just to play. Um, and that it does help um, build that connection, helps build that trust, and it also sends a signal that um, I respect and I admire um, their culture, and that the relationship I want with them is one of mutual respect and understanding. So it's been very helpful to me in my service, and it's been a lot of fun too. That's awesome. That's really cool. Really cool. So. Your whole experience, I mean, is it what you expected or did it take a turn that, you know, you didn't expect at all? Well, I think perhaps going into it, um, I might have been a little overconfident um, in how I would handle um, the stresses of being in the Peace Corps. And I'm not going to lie, it's not easy. In fact, there are some days that it's really hard. Um, There are some weeks when it's really hard and sometimes you have a hard month. And so... Especially during training, they talked a lot about this, that there is kind of like a roller coaster you kind of go through during Peace Corps. And at various times of your service, you'll feel very high. At various times of service, you'll feel really low. And so I know for me personally, um, you know, it, it, took, it, took me, it took me a while to be really comfortable talking about it. But uh, I feel like I can share with you guys here today um, that around this time, a little later than this time last year, um, Remember, Madagascar is in the Southern Hemisphere, so it actually, the seasons are reversed. Mm-hmm. So it's actually, we're entering the summertime now in Madagascar, and it gets very hot. Um, so because of that heat, because of the holiday season, there's not much work being done. Um, and especially in holiday time, I was kind of missing my family. And so I was in kind of a really low time um, where I was asking myself, you know, like, what am I doing here? You know, did I make a mistake? You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not even really doing anything right now. 
Um, and so Peace Corps is really going to be trying in a lot of ways. And I think two years is both, you know, not a long time and also a really long time. Yeah. Yes. So I think, um, you know, I was perhaps overconfident, you know, and and uh, maybe I overestimated, you know, my ability to handle those types of challenges um, that when it actually did happen, um, I was shocked. <laughs> and it um, and it took me a little while to get myself out of that rut. Um, but uh, yeah, so I would, I would say that probably is the biggest challenge that I had faced. Just the, the length of time and kind of just the void that sometimes happens in that type of environment. And, and honestly, I think anything worth doing that happens. I really yeah. do believe, you know, you got those lows where you're really questioning what you're doing, but you get over that. I mean, when you're doing something noble, um, I believe you get over that, but and, it is normal. And actually, you know, I think this might be a great time to come back to what's the biggest thing I've taken from yes, my please. Peace service. Um, well, I, I think honestly, I, I've grown um, quite a lot as a person. Um, and I know that might sound selfish to try and relate. Well, you, you asked me what's the biggest thing I've taken. So I guess uh, that's kind of, yeah. No, it actually, go, that actually goes okay. with the question, yeah. <laughs> um, honestly, I've, as I mentioned a couple times, you know, seeing more of the world and seeing a different culture, um, I have so much more empathy, um, sim- empathy, sympathy um, for those who are different from me. Um, you know, I've learned a lot of valuable lessons about, um, you know, reaching out for help, you know, when times get tough, you know, um, I've learned a lot of lessons, um, about being honest with yourself, which sometimes can actually be a really hard thing to do. Yes. Um, or even like learning you were wrong, you know, learning to admit that you were wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying I was wrong in my peace course. I'm talking about other things, you know, particularly in my service. Um, and so honestly, the, 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 the personal growth, um, that I've seen in myself, you know, this has been such a positive experience for myself. And so, um, you know, even though some days doesn't feel that way, yeah. um, I know looking back that some of those life skills that I took away from the Peace Corps that I think have helped me in my relationships and relating with people, I think that's probably the biggest takeaway I'll have. You know, it's not it's not the Malagasy language, it's not the gardening, those things are great, um, but l- having those skills to better relate with those around me uh, I think those. Yeah. I think some. I think those are some of the biggest things I've taken from my service. Definitely. That's awesome. So we talked a little bit before we before we got in the studio. Um, what are your plans when you get back? Have you thought about that? I know we talked a little bit about it, but yes. Um, and I, I'll tell you what. Um, you know, two years is a long time. It's also not that long of a time that I feel like the question of what am I doing after peak service, you know, really snuck up on me. Um, so as we were talking about before, um, we got in the studio here on this trip, I came for a couple reasons to visit friends, visit family, Thanksgiving and the like. Um, I also came to take my LSAT, uh, law school admissions test. So currently the plan is to, um, try and go to law school following my Peace Corps service, which will end in May of 2020. So that's the plan for now. Where are you going to go to school at? That's an excellent question. (laughs) Um, Right now, I have a little Google document with like two dozen schools that I'm, you know, interested in to varying degrees, all rated by what scores and what GPAs they generally accept. Um, And so I'm still waiting to get my score back. And so once I get my score back, I'll have a chance to sit down and be honest with myself, which is, you know, a skill that the Peace Corps helped me with. And um, I'll send out applications to schools that I think um, will be good fits or will I'll be competitive for application or for admission and for scholarship. So 
No, it's all up in the air. Good for you, man. It is. Um, you know, following that, um, you know, there are, there are a few other graduate programs that are kind of interest to me. Um, you know, I've played around with the idea of coming back and joining the guard this time to try and go to OCS. Um, officer candidate school for non-military <laughs> listeners. <laughs> of course, of course you'd say that. Of course you'd say that. <laughs> you think you'd go into the same MOS or? Well, um, well, as as an officer candidate, I would I would pick you know like a a branch. So what would I still do engineering? I I guess um, you know I don't know the answer to that question either. Um, it it feels so uh, so abstract to think about that. But short answer short answer is um, law school is the plan. No, it's a good, you know, you got something, but yeah, you got options mm-hmm. and that's yeah. got to feel nice. Yeah. Yes. Um, like you said, two years is, it isn't a long time, but it is a long time. And yeah, it's just, at least you've thought about that. Cause I imagine there's some people that, that, that go into this, especially young, they don't really, it's kind of like, like, like joining the army, mm-hmm. you know, like when you go like active duty or, or the military in general, like, yeah, you have your job in the military, but there's so there's some jobs in the military that don't really transfer out of that. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like the same, you know, the same situation where I, I, some people don't necessarily think about what am I going to do when I'm done. And so I think that um, one thing that I've seen generally among volunteers that complete their service is the volunteers that thrive. This is, of course, generally speaking, of course, all these exceptions. The volunteers that generally thrive the most upon returning to the United States are the ones that have something lined up when they get back. Oh, they have something. Yes. Back yes. Okay. And th- those those volunteers, at least generally from what I've seen, um, have a better job readjusting to life yeah. in the states because it is a readjustment back. Oh yeah. It's I imagine. Yeah. Um, you know, I think they generally look on the peace service more positively because they see it as kind of a jumping off point to wherever they are now. Um, whereas sometimes the, the volunteers that don't necessarily have a plan or don't have something lined up, um, sometimes they kind of struggle to reintegrate and kind of, you know, piece together what's going on. And then the Peace Corps kind of seems like, uh, rather like a detour rather than like a shortcut or, a, you know, or, a um, a change in direction, you know? Yeah. So, um, so, you know, you're, you're right. You're right. Um, that, that can be, that can be challenging. And so like, like the army too, um, returning back to normal life or what what have you it can be challenging for sure so you so you, so you're doing what 27 months service right yes is that the max amount of time that you can do in the peace corps no so some volunteers do actually choose to extend for a third year of service in which case then you fulfill more of a leadership role among the other volunteers um, which also um, can be great for um, volunteers that are pursuing jobs at um, NGOs, nonprofits, um, or even looking for further Im- actual like transitioning to employment with the Peace Corps rather than just the uh, volunteer service. So yes, um, so some volunteers choose to do that. Some volunteers do it just because they love the country. Um, you know, some volunteers do it because um, they have they have a serious relationship with another volunteer with the host country national, um, and so to kind of like um, to foster that while getting experience um, also sometimes is an option too. And then there are a handful of volunteers. I think there actually are two volunteers in Madagascar right now. They're a married couple who met uh, when they were young adults doing Peace Corps in Colombia or something. And now they're both retired, have decided to do it again in Madagascar. So following up, they'll have, you know, completed, you know, four and a half years of combined uh, Peace Corps service each. So, yes. So, two years is not the maximum by any means. Um, you can stick around as, as long as you want. So, so well, I mean, 
so long as there's a position for you and you apply to the position and you get accepted the position. So So when you take a position with the Peace Corps, is it a paid position or is it or or, or do they do they cover certain things for you while you're there? How does how does that work? Yeah, is there any money that you have to provide since it's volunteer? No, is the answer to that question, Josh. Um so I am a volunteer. Um, but all expenses are covered by the Peace Corps, including um, my my plane ticket out there, my lodging, um, all the training and everything. And then once you're living in Madagascar and you're living on your own or whatever country you're serving in as a Peace Corps volunteer, you receive a living stipend that is comparable to or usually slightly above um, the average um, in the country you're living in. And then you are expected to then use that money um, wisely to tend to your needs. Okay. So you said the, that the average income is like a, is like $1.50 a day there. Yep. It might it might be slightly higher um, in years, but very low compared so, to the so states. Can I ask, what what is your like Yep, so it comes it comes out to a little over four dollars a day. Yep. How how is it tra- like transitioning from like obviously the US into like that? <laughs> like like what kind of an adjustment was that for you? Um yeah, that's an excellent question. Um it was um well like everything it was it was challenging and it was an adjustment to be made. Um what I will say is one thing that is very different about Madagascar and the United States is that is how different life is in the big cities and in the small cities. I'm in small towns. I'm talking about in regards to like expense. So out out of my village where I live, um, food is very cheap, and you can't you I mean you would have to try to spend four dollars a day um, out where I live, um, and unfortunately when you go to the capital you know or you go out with friends you know or you go out for like at a fancy restaurant you know you can blow through that a lot quicker. Yeah. Um. So the actual like budgeting day to day in my life um, is actually um, fine. Peace Corps provides us with uh, with more than enough. Um, but I would say the the more challenging thing was the disparity between the cost of things in the city and the cost of things in my village. Mm-hmm. That's, sure, that's crazy. But it's it's also interesting because when you look at like the U.S., we're a capitalist country. Mm-hmm. You know, we spend money. That's that's what we are about. Mm-hmm. And so, like for all of our listeners that are out there, so you like you go down, you get the new iPhone 11 at, you know, $1,100, $1,200, whatever, whatever mm. model you get, whatever. Um, and these people over there are living on less than $5 a day. Mm-hmm. Like that, that to me, like just hearing that is very humbling. Cause it's like we, another thing that we take for granted is the availability to spend that kind of money, to have that kind of money. Yep. And that's just absolutely like I don't want to say insane, but it's 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 very mind blowing. It certainly does. Um, it certainly does challenge your perspective. It certainly does challenge you know um, your comfort zone. It does certainly challenge you know your sense of like reality. Um, yeah. Yes, absolutely right. So um, I think we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up here shortly. But um, I know when you went over there, you started a blog. Yes. Tell us, tell us a little bit about that. Thank you. Um, so in addition to the actual. Um, hands-on technical aspect of Peace Corps service. Um, I guess I'll take a moment now to explain that Peace Corps actually has three goals or three missions for every volunteer. So the first one is the um, technical hands-on aspect, in my case, teaching agriculture and gardening. But then the second and third goals are really kind of a cultural exchange in that the second goal is to 
um, somewhat bring um, American culture, American friendship to these in, to these countries of interest. And so it, we're building relationships between uh, Malagasy and the and the American people. And so, and it's really been touching for me. You know, one story I really like to tell about that aspect of service is when I um, was on a business trip, I was translating for a, an engineers that borders team actually from Nebraska. And yeah, right. Cool. <laughs> and, um, yeah. and so when I, um, when I was um, translating for them, I met a Malagasy woman and as her and I were talking, she found out I was a Peace Corps volunteer and she asked me if I knew her community's Peace Corps volunteer. And I asked what you know his name was, and I couldn't, I didn't recognize the name, so I said, "Um, sorry, I don't, I don't think so." I said, "When did he leave?" And she said, "2009." And so I was like, "Well, unfortunately, he left, you know, 10 years before I got here." But I think that still speaks to the friendship that this woman was still so excited to meet another Peace Corps volunteer because of the impact that this volunteer had in that community 10 years ago. Um, and so that even honestly sometimes is the bigger mission on some days rather than just, you know, gardening. But then finally, the third goal is that reciprocal relationship and that the volunteers come back to the United States and they bring with them the education, the culture uh, of their experience, mm-hmm. you know, and doing things like what we're doing right now, talking about Madagascar and talking about the Peace Corps. And so one of the ways in which I do that um, to, you know, meet several, you know, meet several um, desires, like keeping my friends and family informed, you know, or even just telling my story. But it also helps inform people about the reality of the Peace Corps, as well as being a Peace Corps volunteer. Mm -hmm. And so I want want to thank you for um, putting a putting a little spotlight on that. Um, Listeners, uh, viewers can find my blog at Stefan Leboy, that is all lowercase one word, S T E P H A N L A B oy at wordpress.com check we'll, it out and we'll attach a link below the video as well uh for everybody that's watching this on youtube absolutely thank you so much and then um you can see various stories um ranging from um some of my reflections before leaving um to even i actually tell the story about my burglary and my community's response to that um, i'd go more in depth in the actual blog um, i post a lot of pictures um, you can find ways to contact me if you have questions and you can subscribe to get um, updates following posts um, for the blog. Very cool, man. So um, my last question to you of course. is overall, with the goals that you just laid out that the Peace Corps has, mm-hmm. do you think that it is uh, very effective, that it is being executed very effective and it's having the effect that um, the Peace Corps wants? That is a tough question. Um, I, think I guess I just want your perspective on it. I think the quick answer is Yes. Um, the Peace Corps does not have um, does not have the budget of various you know other other um, government organizations like USAID um, or international organizations like UN UNICEF or even like the U.S. military you know mm-hmm. um, for reference point and so uh, I think it actually is really admirable what the Peace Corps does especially with the limited resources it has and the other thing too is you know with those three goals I think that's what kind of makes it unique in that where USAID uh, USAID might have a mission to um, provide contraceptives, and so they just they go out and they have the mobile clinic, you know, and anyone that signs up can come and do um, come and do birth control, um, and so then that's that's their mission, you know. The actual behavior change in the relationship and really kind of understanding, um, for example, you know, who the people of the United States are, 
you know, um, what our life is like, you know, um, kind of the, and kind of developing that sort of friendship. Um, that's kind of, I think, where the Peace Corps fits in. And the reason I say it's a tough question is because that's so hard to measure. Yeah, it really is. And even still, um, or even going, you know, the other way in that, um, you know, I think that I've, uh, you know, a lot of my friends and family um, knew nothing about Madagascar in the same way that I knew nothing about Madagascar before I left. And now they know a little more about it. And so know? do we. And, and, and you Just guys too. This, yeah. And, you know, and so now when you hear um, a story on the news, you know, and you hear Africa mentioned, you hear Madagascar mentioned, or even, you know, just any other country that you never really had thought much about before, you know, Mozambique, Guinea, um, Burkina Faso, is that there is just a touch more of um, empathy, a touch more understanding. And, you know, that's something that's something that's hard to measure, too. Um, So you, you ask a very tough question, and I'm hoping that uh, by the end of my service, I'll be able to answer it better. But I think yes is the short answer. It's a very tough question, but I thought you answered it just fine. So well, thank you. Good for you, man. But thank you so much for being here. I think yeah, this about wraps really it up. Good. Yeah, we really appreciate you coming out and talking, man. Really well, do. Good information. You know, I know a lot more about Madagascar. And I know a lot more about the Peace Corps than I did before this. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, yeah, thanks for having me out, guys. Yep. So everybody, uh, again, um, if you have questions, he, he told you to find his contact information. Again, we'll attach a link to the video below. Um, until next week, we'll see you guys later. Flo here with a word that's just weird. Terry cloth. Who exactly is Terry? And why does he get his own fabric? Did he journey below SPF 50? Fight off some weeds and his daffodils? Hmm. How about a word for everyone? Flotection. Yeah, I just made it up. But I'm not making up how great it feels when me and Progressive protect your new home. Ever think of that, Terry? No. Terry only thinks of himself. Save an average of 17% on car insurance when you bundle home and auto through Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. And now, a page from the Diary of Flo. Dear Diary, the ghost is back. This house is protected through Progressive, but that doesn't mean it's not haunted. How else would you explain that radiator-like clanking sound? Or the moon-colored light in the hallway that's gone by morning? Maybe he never bundled home and auto, and he's doomed to suffer an eternity without the savings. Save an average of 17% on car insurance when you bundle home and auto through Progressive. (gasps) What was that wind-like sound? Oh, right, the wind. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations.